Welcome to the Rough Road Podcast. I'm the host, Lee Steele. Today I got with me Matt Watson. Um, so a little bit about me. I am from a little town in Utah called Delta, Utah. Uh, little, really small town. So a lot of, a lot of farming and um, that's about it that goes on there. So uh, go ahead and tell us about yourself, Matt. I'm Matt Watson, friend of Lee Steele, and we live here in Mesa, Arizona, and uh, grew up in Bountiful, Utah. Great. So I do, uh, I do roofing as work. Uh, that's my employment, and um, so a lot of fun doing that. Uh, Matt is a therapist, has been for how many years? Uh, 22. 22 years. So, really good at what he does. So, I've asked him to join me tonight. Um, I had an experience um, way back when, uh, about eight years ago, um, that uh, it changed my life. Uh, it was uh, April 27th, 2010. Uh, I was on my way to work when <clears throat> I had um, an, an accident. Um, on the freeway. Uh, basically what happened is um, I was in the second lane. There's there's five lanes on the freeway. I was in the second lane, which is the, the one right next to the slow lane. Um, as I was coming up to the on-ramp for the freeway, um, there was a, a gentleman changing his tire um, and his vehicle was struck by another vehicle, which threw him out into the freeway and I hit and killed him. Um, <clears throat> as you can imagine, it was a pretty traumatic experience uh, for me um, and a really trying experience. So uh, that day uh, was a not as rough day as the upcoming days were going to be. Um, it was a it was a tough time, but. Uh, like I say, the, the days moving forward were a lot worse. Um, that day, I the, the reason I asked Matt here is uh, I, had, I had some dealings with him because of um, he was my religious leader. So um, that day, I, I, I talked to him, and, and um, he made sure I was okay. Um, that night, after all of the, after I was released and, the whole day went by. Um, we had a, an activity that night, and um, I was in shock. Uh, do you, Do you remember that night, Matt? I think I do. I think I do. I remember a, a subsequent the subsequent the subsequent yeah activity right where we had, we were at a home and had a little <laughs> discussion after that, but right yeah. So, so the but way, I, but went, I do remember the day, right? So that night, um, I showed up, and <laughs> I, re I distinctly remember you looking at me, and kind of asking me, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> yeah, and I and I said, I remember telling you, "Well, we have scouts tonight." What do you mean? What am I doing here? <laughs> and I remember you shaking your head at me, like, "You're crazy," and uh, and then I I distinctly remember you telling me. Um, like you did on the phone that, that morning, 
um, that if I needed anything to, to make sure I called you. Um, little did I know, I, I, I thought I was totally fine. Um, little did I know that I wasn't going to be fine. Because <laughs> um, it was a really traumatic experience. Um, so th the, the events of that day, um, I kind of had some events when I got home. I wanted to read a message um, that I read that day that, that affected me for a long time. Um, I'll just read a portion of it. Um, <clears throat> it was written on a, on a blog that day and um, by a person that didn't, wasn't even brave enough to leave their name. Um, but it affected me because of, uh, because of what they were saying. Now, I have a little bit di different take than you do on it, yeah. right, Matt? Yeah, it was really interesting. So I'll, I'll just read it real quick. It says, uh, it's a shame someone had to lose their life trying to fix a flat tire. Maybe we should make an emergency lane for these circumstances a little more accommodating for these circumstances. Problem is, is people do not pay attention to driving. Instead, are texting, talking on the phone, reading, doing makeup, eating breakfast, etc. All these things do not mix with driving. They should throw the book at this person who struck the man, make the penalty harsher for not paying attention. So <clears throat> my, my take on that, um, and, and I share the same <laughs> opinion about it still today um, as I did that day, is that you know they, they were talking about me and that they should throw the book at me and lock me up and never let me go. So what, what, I know we talked about this in the past. What, what uh, was your take on it? Yeah. You know, for uh, several years, actually, you and I had talked about this, but I had never seen the message. Right. I had never read it. Not till this year. Right? Yeah, not until this year when you showed it to me. Right. And when, when I read it, I, I looked at it, and I thought, you know what, that person is probably referring to the individual who struck the car, that struck the truck, that pushed right. this, uh, this gentleman out into the, to the road. Right. And so I think that they were, they were directing their attention, their, their frustration, frustration or, or their, right. their condescension, whatever you want to call it, towards, towards that driver who, who probably was distracted or had something else going on um and so was I, as i look at that i thought you know that perhaps what was what you were experiencing was hearing that through the lens of trauma yeah definitely i, I definitely was seeing it um so my accident happened at six twenty-seven in the morning uh, i read this at around ten thirty in the morning yeah and i was I was it, it really upset me and um and you know because of that it affected me for many years yeah uh, it, it fueled um which it I let it do this and I probably shouldn't have but I let it fuel my anger and fuel my hatred and stew inside me um and so I guess as I went through this process, um, you know that that whole week went by. I wasn't, you know, that night was the the starting of a really 
rough road, <laughs> I guess you could say. Uh, that night I got about 30 minutes of sleep. Um, and then that the whole week, so it happened on a Tuesday. By Friday, I had a total of probably three to four hours total sleep for that whole week. Um, <clears throat> the experiences that I was having with with people that I trusted and loved, um, uh, with my with my family, not not my direct, not my wife or kids or anything, but my um, my other family was not the most positive experience. Um, and I was already starting to feel the effects of this trauma that I had, um, getting real depressed, kind of pulling back, um, not wanting to be around anybody. And I know by the time I got to Friday, um, I was not, not very happy. Um, I, I had, I was working down in a little town down down south um, called uh, Casa Grande, or Casa Grande, um, and I had a family member call me, and this family member <laughs> kind of said some things to me that uh, I was like, "All right." This family member said to me, "Hey, I'm I'm sick of you feeling sorry for yourself. It's time for you to get better. Um, you know, we need we need to fix this." And I said, okay. And unedited, I told this family member, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm, these are the dreams I'm having. This is, this is how I'm feeling. Um, when the, con when I stopped talking, when I got finished telling this person what, how I was feeling, um, they said, wow, I got to go. I don't have the phone. <laughs> And that's when I called you. Um, and I went and met with you that day. I don't, do you remember that call at all? or You know, there were just a number of times that you'd right. come by my office and sometimes have to wait a long time. <laughs> Definitely worth the wait, visit. for sure. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I don't remember the particular day, but I, I just remember, you know, there were a number of times that we'd, right. we'd get to visit. I, it was the first time that uh, we'd ever sat down and talked about it. I don't know if you knew everything that was going on before that. I think you knew bits and pieces of it up to that point. Um, that was the first time that we ever sat down and talked about it. And um, so I remember I, I called you and I was pretty distraught because of the conversation I had had right before that, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, and you just opened your doors and said, you know, come on down. <laughs> you said, I need an hour. Come on down. So, and, uh, and then I did and, and it worked out great. Um, the thing that I was needing, I guess, I felt like was someone to listen that wasn't going to judge me. And I didn't feel like I had that at any point. So, and I felt like that's what you did um, that day and basically all the time. I never ever felt judged by you or Corinne or, so Corinne is the person that uh, 
my counselor that I went to see on a on a weekly basis. Um, so, so when you were going through that, when the your family member called you, do you yeah. remember what? Even though she may not have, or he or she may not have said mm-hmm. these particular words, what did it feel like? What did it feel like she was saying, even though she didn't say those words? I don't think, I don't think, um, his family member was prepared for what I was gonna tell them. Um, so I think that they knew that I was unhappy. And that was abnormal for me. And they wanted me to be happy and go back to how I was before. And so it it really affected me because I felt like they didn't care, really. <laughs> and it's odd to say that because they called they called me because they did care. But the feeling at the end of the conversation was that they didn't care because it wasn't like wow, I feel really bad for you. It wasn't any of that. It was, I got to go, click, and hung up the phone. So it was kind of, I know it wasn't intentional, and I don't have any grudge against this person. Um, But the damage was done at that point. When you look at that, right now you can see that they called Mm -hmm. out of concern. Yeah. And because they cared. Definitely. But in the moment, it didn't really feel like that. Right, right. In fact, it felt opposite. It felt opposite, right. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I kind of felt like they were trying to fix me. Huh. And I didn't want someone to fix me. I just wanted to be able to talk mm-hmm. with someone I could trust. And I trusted this person. And Yeah. And this happened multiple times, not... That, that exact scenario, but this happened multiple times with people that I trusted, um, family members that I trusted. And it was like a reoccurring theme. <laughs> so um, it was tough. It was, it was a tough situation because I know, looking back on it now, I know that it was done out of love, that, that they were doing it out of love in the moment. It didn't feel that way. It, it felt... It felt like it was, like they weren't, like it just wasn't out of love. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. Um, so that was the the tough part for me. That was that was one of the tough things that I had to work through. Um, so moving forward on, as I after I after Friday goes by, so every day is at this point is just getting worse. Every day I'm getting more depressed. I'm I'm pulling away from my family. I'm pulling away from everyone. I don't I don't want to talk to anyone because anytime I talk to anyone, all they want to do is talk about what happened. And all I want to do is forget about what happened. Um looking back on it now, it's probably not the most healthy <laughs> um scenario. You know, wanting to avoid it all. But I, I kind of feel like it's a, a natural reaction. Yeah. It, am I am I right in that? Yeah. Yeah. Most of us that, want to avoid stress. That avoid. And, yeah. Avoidance, and actually, avoidance is it's one of the hallmarks of, of post traumatic stress. Right. Now, avoidance isn't necessarily 
people who avoid stress doesn't necessarily mean they have post-traumatic right. stress or post-traumatic stress disorder, but that is... That is definitely a sign yeah, of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I started meeting with my counselor, Corinne, shortly after that. So you gave, you gave me her number. Um, she specializes in EMDR. Um, can you explain what that is? Because I'm... I just know what sure. how to, what I did. I don't. I don't. I can't explain everything on that. Um, EMDR is a certain psychotherapeutic treatment protocol. An approach. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And in essence, it <clears throat> involves uh, helping. Uh, uh, People who've been through traumatic experiences uh, re-experience them through exposure, bringing the traumatic experience back to your attention and trying to make it as as vivid as as is helpful to the individual, um, as as vivid as they can tolerate, and then uh, going through a process uh, bilateral stimulation of the body or the brain that helps to they, they really don't understand the function but the theory is that it somehow releases some of the energy and helps people reprocess their experience in a way that gets them unstuck right. that traumatic trauma is an experience of being emotionally and experientially stuck so it helps to facilitate that right so <clears throat> I remember um, a conversation that I had I don't remember if it was with you or with Corinne it was with one of you about uh, traumatic experiences and how you process them and it had to do with a funnel was that was that mm-hmm. you that I talked about probably can you explain that so yeah. maybe some of the audience can understand so we that. have uh, an ability to, to understand and, and process um, our our recollections, our memories, our experiences, but it is finite. And so there, when you have something that is intense, that's powerful, that overwhelms our, our body's ability to, to process and make sense and integrate it into our, our psyche and our, our psychological makeup, it's like trying to push so much content, so much stimulation through a funnel. And just as you push something through a funnel, the more you push it, the more it clogs it. So you can't process it. The metaphor is that it gets stuck in there. It doesn't flow and it doesn't process. And EMDR, uh, the theory is that it helps to to reestablish the flow. Gotcha. So I was definitely experiencing that. Um, a, a symptom that I had um, through this process for many, many months was I had a, a really hard time. I, I played that fun game with what if. What if I did this? What if I did that? And I relived this traumatic experience on a daily basis, multiple times a day and play different scenarios through my mind and and it, and I assume it's because it's stuck in this funnel in my mind, right? That it's stuck there and it's at the front of my mind and I just can't 
process it. That's what I assume. I yeah. Am I off the, base? Or? The theory is that you know your brain is a little bit of a meaning making machine. It's trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make any sense. There's right. no rhyme, reason, rationale to it. Right. And yet you're trying to make sense. You're trying to get achieve resolution by being able to understand it. Right. And there's it just starts to loop. Right. And it's a vicious loop. Yeah. <laughs> so as I as I met with Corinne, um, because she specialized in EMDR, um, I went through that, but um I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um <clears throat> and uh I still struggle with parts of that today even eight years later um but i've learned i've learned certain ways to deal with it so i I don't know my opinion on it i guess is i don't think you ever get over it i just think you learn how to live with it um and you definitely go through cycles that it's worse than other times even even now um, so as I'm going through this process, I still for, for months, I'm still pulling away. Um, I find myself going to, going to church and when I would see people, <laughs> I would, I would duck out. So I, so I wouldn't talk to them. Um, because I didn't feel safe. I, I, it was, um, I, I kind of found it astonishing that people wanted to talk to me about it so much that they wanted, that they wanted to know about it. Like, I mean, I understand that the thought of wanting to know about it, but it astonished me that they would come and ask me about it and not let me decide if I wanted to talk about it. That that was astonishing to me, and it happened a lot. Um, I know I had an experience at uh, at a relative's house. <laughs> I showed up. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I I showed up to their house. I got off work early. <clears throat> My wife's begging me, "Hey, you know, because I'm I'm pulling away. I'm not. I don't want to be around anyone." Um, and she knew I got off work early, so she called me. She's like, "Hey, come over here where we're at." I'm like, ah, I really don't want to. She's like, come on, just come over. It'll be fun. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I show up, and about five minutes after I got to where where they were at, at someone's house, um, a friend of the owner of the house, one of their friends showed up, and they introduced me as the one. This is Lee, the one. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of an interesting experience because this person that I was introduced to like that, she got a look in her eyes like I was her prey. And then she proceeded to ask me questions that weren't necessarily appropriate, um, like questions about the accident that aren't normal, like like the gory questions I guess right and I remember um, I remember I got really anxious um, 
really nervous. I, I was real fidgety and I'm, I guess the best way to describe it is I, I was just seeing red. Like I was angry and my wife saw me and she says, she says to the lady, Oh, Hey, um, I need to talk to my husband for just a minute. <laughs> can you, can you hold on? And she takes me aside and like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this happened. I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you invite me over here? <laughs> uh, and I kind of blamed her because she invited me over there. But I know that she didn't have the lady come and do this. But but that sort of stuff happened a lot. Maybe not the gory detail part, but they want to invade in on and ask me stuff that I didn't think was appropriate or stuff that I didn't trust them with the information. Mm-hmm. So that, that was really tough for me um, going through it. Uh, one thing I know that I, I talked with Corinne about is um, a problem, uh, another issue that I had with, with pe- dealing with people um, was people would you know come and ask how I'm doing, not necessarily try to dig into my situation, but, you know, Hey, how you doing? Are you all right? You know, is there anything I can do for you? And I would say, nope, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> Cause really, I mean, what can anybody do? They, they can't take anything away from me. Right. And it, so in my, in my eyes, there was nothing they could do. And I think people want to feel like they're helping. Yeah. They want to help you. Right, and and it came from a. They cared about me, and so. They would proceed to give me, advice that I didn't want and didn't necessarily help. And it was really frustrating to me, um, really frustrating, and, it, and that just pushed me, pushed me away more. It, ma- it made me want to avoid more, mm-hmm. um, people in general. Um, but Corinne gave me some great advice. That solved that issue <laughs> i i remember it was probably two probably two months after the accident maybe three months and i went i went in to see her and i went every tuesday and thursday to see her and on one of the appointments i'm like she's like how you doing i'm like i'm terrible and she's like what's going on i'm like people just keep coming up and asking how i'm doing and i and then they say what can you do and i tell them nothing and then they just give me advice that i don't want <laughs> And I can't handle it. It's not even good advice. It's advice that doesn't even help. They have no idea what's going on. And she said, well, what what can they do? And I said, well, they can't do anything. She goes, no, they can do something. What is it? And I said, nothing. They can't do anything. She goes, no, what can they do? What can every person do to help you? And I said, well, I guess they could pray for me. She goes, then tell them that. And it was that's one of the best advice that I got from her um, to, to cope with this because the second I did that it actually they stopped giving me advice and they started oh I can do that because they wanted to help and it's something they actually could do they needed to so, do something yeah they needed yeah. to do something and, and because I wouldn't let them do anything before they still needed to do something, and so they thought that they would help me out. Kind of pestered you until they yeah. let them do something to help you. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I kind of gave them 
some an assignment. You know, this is what you can do. You can pray for me. Sure. And then it was, it, it was a life changer. It, really, uh, because it it actually gave them something that they could actually do, and and it stopped them aggravating me, and it was it was a game changer for me. So win win. Yeah, it was a definitely a win win. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if they actually did do it. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Uh, but they definitely stopped giving me the advice that I didn't want. Um, so that helped. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, going through this process of of dealing with this trauma and and that, uh, you know, I I had a lot of regrets from this situation, from the accident. Um, you know, I guess, what are, what are some of the signs of PTSD? What are, what are some of the common signs of that? So PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And so obviously, you, when you're experiencing post-traumatic stress, you have to have been exposed to a traumatic event that um, has the potential to harm you or take your life or someone that you love or care about. So can can you have post, uh, sorry to interrupt you, can you have, uh, can you get PTSD from a little event like a, I don't know, something small that doesn't pertain to losing your life or a loved one's life or something like that? To harm? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be your life that's being lost, but something that is that that overwhelms your your emotional capacities to to respond, to make sense of it, and to integrate. So it losing into your a life. job could that? Yeah. Okay. Now that I just didn't know. Yeah, it just gets ex- it just gets kind of exposed. It just gets uh, sometimes post traumatic stress disorder nowadays gets used so broadly that that it, it's used to describe a, a variety of things. Right. But anything can be, be traumatic to any particular person. Depends on the person. But post-traumatic stress disorder is when you the, the symptoms that include uh, uh, an intense desire and a lot of activity associated with trying to avoid. Right the check i had that the the remind yeah the, the anything associated with with the trauma um reminders mm-hmm. where you get stirred up definitely have and that and you too. have things that that trigger or create reminders of the experience right so uh and then the the third thing is an emotional dysregulation where you get emotionally overwhelmed you have emotion really strong emotional uh reactivity you mean to, like anger mm-hmm. like that could be anger can, can be the startle response can be anxiety can be any type of a an intense emotional dysregulation and then in, there's a level of intrusiveness as well that it intrudes upon your your ability to to just live your life and so when you look at, okay, I've got a traumatic exp- experience, and then in response to that, I have these 
the this cluster you know of symptoms right and we all experience that typically when we've gone through something that's difficult or traumatic but post-traumatic stress disorder is something that persists it persists longer than six months so a lot of people have post-traumatic stress but maybe not the disorder that's right gotcha that's right so when it becomes a disorder is when it persists and when it begins to impair your ability to function so if you know if if you're experiencing some post-traumatic stress but it's not really getting in the way of your ability to eat sleep work you know socialize doesn't get in the way of your your spirituality doesn't get in the way of your you know your ability to function then then you're probably all right yeah then you're, you're probably just metabolizing it you're still digesting it trauma is something that's difficult you know it's something right. that it takes a while for it to, to to be resolved but um and when i say resolved that doesn't mean forgotten <clears throat> right it just means it gets to a point where you've integrated it to the point that it's not the focal point or something that's where you've learned how to to cope with it i guess there right. you go there you go so okay. it's not it, it's not pushing you around it's not dominating your life whereas when you're in the middle of a, a post-traumatic stress disorder episode, you are f- definitely feeling right. pushed around by it. So I, I felt, so I was diagnosed with the disorder. Uh, for sure, I, I had every one of those symptoms, and I still have some of those um, symptoms. Um, and and it ran, it, it literally ran my life for years. Um, I had a hard time distinguishing what was, I don't want to say right and wrong. I knew right and wrong, but distinguishing what was rational and irrational, I guess, is the best way to put it. Created some distortions for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I had a really hard time processing that and knowing, you know, I, I hate to, <laughs> I hate to say this, but the 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 voices in my head. I audibly hear any voices, but the sounds in my head told me certain things, and I didn't know if they were right, wrong. I I couldn't tell if it was good, bad. I I didn't know. I honestly didn't know. Yeah. Um, there's a level of disorientation that sometimes happens. Yeah. And I was definitely feeling that. And I felt that for a long time. And so that that was uh really hard to to handle. Um cuz I in a way I kind of felt lost. Kind of. Does that Mhm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I was kind of I didn't know what way was up. Yeah. It's it is disorienting. Right. You, you start to question or distrust right what you're thinking feeling other people what their motives are what you know judgments right. your own judgments the the internal right. voice inside that we all have it's not right pathological for us yeah. to have a little conversation going on in there i had conversations all the time with myself mm-hmm. the good thing about that is i always won because it was with myself <laughs> Whether or not it was, but you also lost, right? Too, yeah, right. <laughs> I did both, right? But uh, you know, it it sent me down a a path of uh, a lot of despair and discouragement, uh, a lot of self hate, and 
um, I don't know, you know, I, self-hate's just the kind of the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Kind of self-loathing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I had a lot of, uh, you know, you hear, you hear soldiers that come back from war have, you know, survivor's remorse. And I, I felt that. There was a, I spent a lot of time um, wishing that it was me that died that day, not not him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's normal or not, but I definitely felt that way, and it was tough. It was it was a tough situation to to handle, and and I think part of that part of the reason why I felt that way is, you know, this gentleman had a wife, three boys. And, you know, everything I learned about him after the fact, the great dad loved his kids. And, and in my mind, I, I thought that, you know, he was probably a better guy than I was. And so, you know, he should, he should be alive and I shouldn't. Mm. And so, and I think that's, you know, partially a, a sign of depression also. Mm. (laughs) Would you... Think that, do you think that too? Is that yeah. Well, when it when things don't resolve or they don't work, there's a little bit of comorbidity there where other things start right. to, to take root and you start to develop a little bit of hopelessness and a sense that this is never going to get better and right. my life is over. And I, I felt like I was going down a, a dark tunnel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever walked down a dark tunnel. Um where you couldn't see the other end. Mm. You just keep walking and it gets darker and darker. That's how I felt every day. It was just, it was worse. It felt, I felt like I was alone. And I wasn't alone. That's the funny thing is I had my wife that was there, my kids. Um, and I had a lot of people that cared about me. A lot of friends. Right. A yeah. lot of friends and, and family that cared about me. But I st- even with all that support, I still felt alone. It's kind of it's kind of weird to look look back on it because I wasn't alone. I know I wasn't alone. Yeah, but I had like that the, sense of being alone, though. Yeah, some people describe it as like there's this this fog or this thing that's kind of getting in the way. Right. And even though you know there's one part of you that knows that people are there, there's another part that that sometimes feels like well they don't they don't understand or they don't get it or if they knew how bad it was or how messed up I am they wouldn't love me or right start they start to to feel unlovable or in like damaged goods right and that they're not redeemable that you know question anybody's love for them family friends god right anybody i definitely felt like i it was it was weird i felt like i had a spotlight on me from being in this accident what i mean by that is any time, even if people didn't know me, I felt like when I would walk in a room, even if people didn't know me, I felt like they knew me. They knew what I what I what I had done, what happened, even though they they didn't. But that I, internal I, voice, yeah, was that internal judgment. He was yelling at me. Yeah, your PTSD was always kind of barking at you, like the right. damaged goods stuff. Yeah, and it, and that was really tough to get over. And I and I know. I know it's terrible to say, but you know, I, I got 
really depressed and really down and man i was it was it was touch and go for a long time um there was there was a few times where i was ready to end it all uh and i had enough enough sense left in my mind or my brain to not to not do it hmm. and it wasn't that i was afraid that that was it that was never the case it wasn't that i was afraid to to not to go through with it it all came down to to my kids hmm. that i didn't want to i didn't want to leave them um having to deal with this I didn't want to have. To, I didn't want them to have to go to school and go throughout the rest of their life and have that define them. Hmm. And so it it was a. It was for them. That, hmm. That's why. Yeah. Um, found a reason. Right. Right. Hmm. I I found a why. I, yeah. I found a reason to not. To no matter how bad it got, when it was when it was the worst. When I was living minute by minute, and I didn't think I could take any more, that's that's what I, that's what I fell back on is, mm-hmm. I got to do this for my kids because I don't want them. First of all, I don't want them to ever give up. I would hate to see them give up, or you know, or go through what I'm going through now, mm. or what I was going through then, um, because of me. It's a real selfish thing, really. Looking back on it, that was a real selfish thing that I was contemplating, because, and it was more than contemplating. It was, it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a real selfish act that I was, that I was, really gonna do, um, and I just had enough sense in me to snap out of it and not do it because of them. So. Mm-hmm. In a sense, you found your reason. Yeah, I found my reason, and 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 it and it got me through a lot of a lot of dark places. Mm-hmm. And even though I was angry and and had a lot of hate going on in me, and as I reflected on the, that quote that that I read at the beginning, um, as I'd go back and look at it, uh, that day I printed that out that day, and I kept it. And any time I wanted to, any time I got feeling too good, I would go and read it. Because mm. <laughs> I, how can I feel good because of what happened? That was that was what I would tell myself. You know, if I if I'm feeling too happy or too good, there's it's got there's got to be something wrong because I can't I can't feel that good because of what's happened. Right. Because I lived with being unhappy for so long, it was it was normal. Now that was the new normal for me. And so, I don't know, is that, what is that? What do you call that? I don't, I don't even know what you call that. Well, I'm like saying that is the new normal. Right. That's just, it's, I'm not that way anymore. Right. I've, I've learned to deal with it and learn to, I'm happier now than I've been in years. Right. Um, well, and that's something <clears throat> maybe we, you know, we, maybe we go there in a little bit. Right. But as, as we talk a little bit about, you know, maybe post-traumatic growth or, you know, what that looks like and, and what's happened. But what do you think? I mean, one thing was finding your, finding your way. Right. And finding your reason. Right. 
but but what do you think is is something you know for other folks who are kind of going through this maybe not exactly what you experienced but who are who are experiencing their own elements of post-traumatic stress what what or, were the things that you or did depression i think it would yeah i think yeah. it would coincide with that yeah I, so so what would you what, what did you find that, that worked learned. for you yep tell tell them tell me a little so, bit about what worked for you. I kind of have I kind of found a few things, some good things, some bad things, um, for for me as the as a survivor or the mm-hmm. the victim, I guess, or the the survivor is the best way to put it. Gotcha. So, one thing that I didn't talk about earlier, but when I originally saw Corinne the very first time, um, she, I think she knew that I was gonna have post traumatic stress disorder. She had some inkling of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because because of the amount of sleep I was getting, because of what I was going through, I had I had many flashbacks and many times where I would show up to work and not know how I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the drive. Mm-hmm. My drive there was maybe at the accident again. Yeah. So and I had this happen many times. Um, and so, the very first time I met with her, she she told me that I needed to. I needed to stay busy and keep my mind off of things and that's and that's gonna help me and find something that that I enjoy doing and go and do it whatever that is and so she asked me what what do you like to do yeah, what'd you do I said I like spearfishing hmm. so me and a few of my buddies we'd go spearfishing three times a month hmm. that's what we did had something to look forward to and it's to. funny uh, so it was around this time mm-hmm in the um, summer it, it, yeah it happened in april the end of april and so may june july um uh, it's funny looking back because i can i can go on facebook and look back at posts that i made and all this time in 2010 all my facebook posts are i'm going spearfishing again i'm good and it's funny to look back on it hmm. because that's exactly what, exactly what she told me to do i remember uh, when I met with her the first time, she said, you need to go uh, two to three times a month. And I told her, I said, there's no way my wife's going to let me do that. Hmm. She goes, well, if she has a problem with it, you tell her to talk to me because you need to do this, period. And I said, okay. And she never gave, my wife never gave me a problem, which was, I'm grateful for. Yeah. Um, so, so I needed to be, I needed to stay active. And I think the, I think the reason that helps, um, the reason I found it helped is it kept my mind off of what I was always in because every day, all day, I was thinking about the accident and thinking and playing different scenarios through my mind and, you know, playing this game of what if I did this or what if I, you know, and, and when I would go out and go spearfishing, it was something I enjoyed doing and it would get my mind a break from mm. dealing with this. And so it, you know, even though even though it doesn't seem like it's a lot of work to think about it all the time it really is i feel like it is so that's one thing that uh that i did yeah and i kind of talked i kind of touched on this also um you need to determine what's rational and irrational thoughts and then disregard the the irrational ones mm mm-hmm. mhm I didn't know what was rational and irrational. Yeah. <laughs> so that was tough. So that that's where 
Yeah. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, and then... So, so can I ask you about that? Yes. Go ahead. Um, because, you you know, you get disoriented. And you, right. sometimes you have a hard time figuring out what's, what's rational, what's irrational, um, what's a distortion, what's what's right. factual or, or you know what's your experience um did you notice what happened when you would try and get rid of it when you would try and make it go away the the thoughts the thoughts i would stew on it more yeah it would it would like intensify it would like put a magnifying glass on it there you go i it kind of felt like an ant with a magnifying glass. Yeah. <laughs> and and then all of a sudden the sun hits that magnifying glass and starts burning the ants. That's what it felt like. Yeah. When I'd try to avoid it or try to stop thinking about it. Yeah. If I wasn't busy doing something else, mm-hmm. if I just tried to stop thinking about it, it would it would feel like I'm getting intensified. Yeah. And see that's where the harder the more you try and avoid. Right. And the more you try and play the control agenda of controlling the thoughts making them go away sometimes it stirs it up and makes it a little bit worse but when you can when you can open up to it and recognize that oh there's there's a little bit there's my ptsd right there it is come on it goes yeah the water's good yeah make room for it (laughs) which is a little bit counterintuitive but when you when you make room for it and recognize oh it's it's part of my life um then what happened more peace yeah I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was like, it was all roses and... Bingo. All that. So it, it doesn't make it better. But when you open up, when you open up and you play rational to it, was it fair, was, was it fair to say or is it accurate to say that it doesn't make it worse? It definitely does not make it worse. I, it makes it better when you just accept it. Yeah. That it's your new... It's your new reality. You just have to learn to live with it. There you go. Um, and I guess that's a good way to put it, rational and irrational. Your irrational thoughts are, I have to ignore this and stop thinking about it. Because if I stop thinking about it, then it can't affect me. Hmm. And if it can't affect me, then I can go back to how I was before. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's been eight years. I'm not, I'll never be back. Yeah. I've realized that now, that yeah. I'll never be back to where I was I'll never be that person that I was before. Right. So you carry the recollections and the memories right. with you towards this thing that you have to live for. Right. You have this, oh, there's my kids. Right. There's, there's my family. That's what I have to live yeah. for. So I'm going to carry these irrational thoughts, these responses, and these reactions with me as I pursue my these things that matter most to me. Yeah. And what also made it a little tough also talking about that rational and irrational is so when the accident happened my my oldest is uh he'll be 17 this year so he was about 10 years old when it happened you know he's nine years old what have you and so he remembers he remembers me before now my other two kids are were considerably younger they don't really remember before the accident like they remember me from the accident on they don't really remember before yeah but my oldest remembers me before he remembers how i was before and how i acted and how 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 happy i was and and how how just how i was in general and he he said to me on many occasions throughout this process 
as I'd be going to having these irrational spats, he would say to me, and it's terrible, (laughs) it's a terrible thing to say to me, but I probably deserved it, you know, I wish I could have my dad back. Mm-hmm. He said that that to me on many occasions, mm-hmm. and man, that there's nothing that there's nothing that cuts deeper than that. Yeah, uh, but it's probably what I needed to hear, um, to kind of realign me and get me focused where I needed to be. Sure, um, but man, that's hard to hear. Yeah, it is. And it, but it got me. It kind of got me out of that irrational of wait. What what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. That, this is what's important to me. The, my kids, my family, that's what's important to me. I need to focus on that mm-hmm. and stop worrying about me and my problems. I need to worry about making making decisions that's going to help my family be happy. There you go. And so, you know, just that... Just carry it with you. Yeah. Just carry it with you. Don't let it get in the way of you continuing to live with your family and pursue what's good for your family, pursue what's good for, for right. your son. and Yeah. Right. Recognize. All right. Can't bring you. You know, Dad 1.0 is not coming back, but nope. Dad 2.0 is mm, not doing so well. Not, but hopefully 3.0 is better. Gonna look, I'm gonna look for 3.0. Here. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move towards 3.0. <laughs> so, along with that rational and irrational, um, so to help decipher what's rational and irrational. I needed to find a person that I could trust that wasn't going to judge me. So a supporter that wasn't going to judge me that would help me decipher the difference between the two. Hmm. Right. And that I could talk to and confide in these thoughts that I'm having mm-hmm. that weren't always the nicest thoughts or the right thoughts. Yeah. And and did you notice that sometimes when the thoughts are kind of rattling around in your head, that's when it gets pretty disoriented. Yeah. Disorienting. But when you would, say, share it with a support person, the support right. person would just kind of reflect it back to you. Did you notice what you would do when you would hear an irrational thought, what you yourself would do when you would hear yeah, an irrational so thought? Yeah, when, so when the support person that I had, when they would, basically what the person would do would, say basically repeat what i said back to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then ask me does that sound right and sometimes i didn't know and sometimes i did um but i think hearing it back a lot of times helps decipher hearing it vocally yeah because in my mind it's it's not it it sounds right yeah it sounds totally fine. There's validity to it. There's justification right. for it. There's yeah. Right. Yeah. But when you hear it back from somebody else, then you yourself could make that self-correction. Yeah. You and could. sometimes I couldn't tell though. Yeah. And then sometimes they'd have to say, "No, you're totally screwed up. That's totally <laughs> you're totally <laughs> off base here." <laughs> so, you know, those are kind of three things that that I think are a necessity. Mm-hmm. When dealing with, um, whether it's depression or PTSD, yeah. for sure PTSD, and I'm I'm sure it links to depression as well. So those are some of the do's. Right. What would you encourage people maybe to to don't do, or what? what to, if you give them some, do- yeah. So what would the don'ts look like. Um, uh, we and we kind of talked about this. Don't avoid 
don't avoid. Um, I avoided for a long time, and it's not as healthy. Mm. <laughs> it's not as healthy as uh, it's sure. just confronting it. Yeah, you know, getting better, getting getting the help that you need, and and um, talking about it and confronting it. It's hard work. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times avoiding is a lot easier than mm-hmm. doing that hard work. And I think sometimes because it's easier, people choose the easier route yeah. rather than putting the hard work in. And that's another thing Corinne said the very first time I met her is you're going to get out of counseling what you put in. So are you ready to work hard? Because if you want to get better, that's what you have to do. Yeah. And I said, Yes, I'm sick of being unhappy. And it had only been, you know, I saw her on Tuesday, so it had been a full week. Mm-hmm. And I was already unhappy at that point. Yeah. And I had been unhappy for a week, and that was abnormal for me. And so, yeah, I was ready to I was ready to go all in. Mm-hmm. And uh it, and it and it, that was really tough for me to to do that because um my dad's pretty old school. He's in his 80s. He feels like counseling is a bunch of... Mind meddlers. Yeah. <laughs> he he called me at one point. Sissy and, boys. And yeah. Just deal with it. <laughs> yeah. He called me at one point and, and told me... He basically told me that. He's like, you just need to get over it. Time heals all wounds. You don't need to go see no counselor. He told me that. He's told me that on many occasions, actually. Um. And it was tough for me. It was tough for me to make that decision to do that or to to put myself open to yeah. do that. Uh, because, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to let my dad down. Sure. Um, you know, I trusted. Yeah. I trusted his decisions and his um, input. But I knew that I wasn't getting better, that it was just getting worse every day. Yeah. <laughs> And so I thought, well, it can't get any worse than it is. Yeah. And then it got worse. Uh, so before it got better, it got worse. So so don't avoid. Um, don't give up. That's another another big thing, you know, mm-hmm. not not giving up. Um, you know, I, th- I think we all have the, the choice that we can make if we so choose to, to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we need to find that, that reason, that, that why, and, and when, in those times when we want to give up, that's what we need to lean on. That's what we need to grasp and hold on to and decide, you know what, this is why I'm not going to give up because of this. For me, it was my kids Mm -hmm. for someone else. It, you know, maybe their dog or it may be. You know their truck. Mm-hmm. Who, know, who knows what it? Who, who knows what it is for someone else? Right. It may be just a possession that they have. Who knows? Absolutely. But for me, it was my kids. It was my three kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then don't listen to all the voice in your head because they're not. They're trying to lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to, you know, tell you. Yeah. Things that uh, aren't necessarily correct. So, Your meaning-making machine sometimes yeah. comes up with distorted meanings of the things that have happened and that are currently happening. So, 
just recognize that it's just your mind, your brain trying to make sense of what's going on, and but it's not always accurate. It's not always perfect. Right. Right. And then I think in addition to that, um, so there's another side to that story. There's another. <coughs> excuse me. There's another side to that coin also. So you have the the uh, survivor. Mm-hmm. Their their do's and don'ts. And I think uh, there's 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 the the people around the survivor that are that care about them that are trying to help them yeah combat this. And yeah. there's obviously a list of do's and don'ts that they need to do too. Gotcha. What do you what would you what would you so tell them? Some of the things that that and these are just um, things that I think are important that that really help me. Um, there's a whole a lot more um, than just the ones that we mentioned, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, this is what worked for me. Um, some of the things. So th- the dues for the supporter, we'll call them, um, is just love. You know. Um, unconditional love you know mm-hmm. don't judge just love yeah because I know going through it I felt I felt and I know it was me but I felt judged I did a lot mm-hmm. um, and I don't know that people were necessarily judging me but I felt that way it felt yeah I felt that way it was part of the distortion right yeah um, and I think that just showing love no matter what and I, you know i wasn't i wasn't always nice i wasn't always nice to people um because because i felt like i was put in situations that were, were lose-lose situation for me mm-hmm. you know with people coming up and invading on my my privacy or my what i felt like was mine mm-hmm. you know my story my mm-hmm. And so I wasn't always the nicest to those individuals because I didn't feel like I was, and I'm not trying to justify my actions by any means. I'm recognizing my fault in this, um, that, you know, I felt that I was being treated wrongly or unfairly by individuals. Looking back on it, that was never the... That was never the case. I don't. I don't think it was done. I don't think it was done with you know ill intent. I don't. I don't think they were meaning to be intrusive or. Mm-hmm. They, it, it was coming from a place of love. I feel um, most so, of the time. So when you don't feel lovable, when you don't feel love, when you're, you know, in the the post traumatic stress fog. Um, how do how does somebody? Let you know that they love you. Just, just tell them you love them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think there's any other way. I mean, um, get, give them, give them their space that they need. You know, just be a listening ear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I want to tell you what happened, I'll tell you. But if I don't, don't pry. Don't, don't try to get me to tell you because you want to know. Gotcha. So be available, right? Without in, without being intrusive, right? But also be responsive. That right. if, if I need you, 
you're there, but also it sounds like let's have more of a life than just let let's always talk about this. Right. There's much more to you than it, it was defining me when people would come and do that. It was like mm-hmm. a defining moment in my life. And oh, okay. It, and and I felt like it was a defining moment because that's all people wanted to talk to me about. Gotcha. Right. So love was to not let this define you. Right. Make Don't treat it, me different because of that. Right. So just be, let it be part of the conversation when you right. want it to be, but but also have other experiences with you right. when you're living this rich, full, meaningful life. And you and I had many conversations about that mm-hmm. on my terms. Right. Um, whether it was at your office or here at your house or at at a camp out, yeah. <laughs> wherever. Yeah. Um, when I was ready to share what I was feeling, how I was feeling. Um, so you were a good example of that, of never pressing it, never becoming invasive, I guess. We had a pretty rich interaction pattern right. where it wasn't always around this. Right. Sometimes it was. Yeah. But it was, there was a lot of other discussions that we had about family and... About other stuff, right? Fun stuff. and Right. My son's car stereo. <laughs> yeah. But, so yeah, you know, as a supporter, love, mm-hmm. listen, and then ask appropriate questions. So what those questions are depends on the situation obviously um obviously not asking about gory details yeah. <laughs> don't yeah don't ask me about uh, I may not don't ask me what he looked like on the road or anything like that mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh like that that lady did sure um <clears throat> so that's definitely some some do's that, that'll help just questions um, that invite reflection yeah questions that invite connection right yeah don't ask questions that are prying mm-hmm. I know that uh, I know that there are situations where I did want to talk about it and was able to because of the company that I was with or in Mm -hmm. Um, and they weren't and the company wasn't prying or trying to get information that's not what it was it was look we're just going to be here and if you want to talk you can if you don't if you want to talk about baseball or Mm -hmm. I would never talk about baseball but gotcha because I'm I'm not a baseball guy but yeah you know what I mean if you want to just talk about whatever kids football yeah yeah. whatever it is whatever the topic is we can talk about that um but you know there was definitely individuals there that people that that cared about me friends that cared about me that were there when I needed to talk that that didn't judge me and so that that helped me a lot Mm -hmm. there's definitely some some don'ts (laughs) um like we talked about earlier that was happening uh, you know giving advice you know 
unless they're asking for advice, you probably don't need to be given advice. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the situation, you know, my situation's unique. My experience I had is pretty unique. Um, not many people have the experience that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so probably the advice that people have aren't going to, it's not relevant. It's not relevant to what I'm going through or, or what I'm dealing with. And that's what I found is that, you know, just because that helped that person in their time of need or in their time of, of struggle, mm-hmm. um, you know, I hate to say it, but it, it did quite the opposite for me. Yeah. Um, Sometimes when we give advice, it's more. It's for about, us. Yeah, trying to help me feel better. Right. Like I'm trying. Yeah, I'm getting. I'm being helpful. Right. I, I, I hate feeling helpless. Right. But you know, and when you're have when you're in the middle of a tough time, you know. Oh, you know, I. I right. I, giving advice sometimes helps me feel better. Right. And I lose track of uh, us. Right. So. You know, you have to. I think you have to remember that the the survivor maybe you don't know where they're at mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you ever knew where I was at mentally. Do you, Do you feel like I had an, a hypothesis? I had an idea. Right. Did I you ever know I was down? As far as I was down, no. like we talked about. No. Yeah. No. When you later told me how down you were, I I didn't know yeah. that at all. To right. be honest with you. I'd check in with you periodically and, hey, tell right. me what's going on. But it wasn't until years after that you shared that, you know, right. I was down a lot further than I was letting on. Right. So so you never know where the survivor is mentally. Yep. And so that's the, that's the danger of the advice, mm-hmm. which leads into the next thing of judging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like say I felt I felt really judged I think it, looking back on it I think it was me just feeling that way the meaning making machine is right. very judgmental right it's very second guessy it's very but I, so you're you're judging yourself enough right yeah um, but I think that's a very important a very important thing to remember too is that like say you never know where they're at mentally um I I kept where I was at very close to my heart. You know, there there was no one that knew and you probably knew me better than anybody did. You knew more more stuff than probably more than my wife. Hmm. Uh probably more than Corinne did. Hmm. Um or, or about or the same. Mm-hmm. And so um and but you you had no idea, and right. so you, you know you just never know where they're at mentally. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to be very careful with that. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> don't. You know, I do remember the time when you were going through some really hard time, and I knew that you were going through some hard stuff. And your wife knew. Mm-hmm. And the irrational things were going on, and you were trying to make some you know some things happened or decisions just to try and right. help get away from right all this stuff and i remember just telling her hey that's the ptsd you know that's right and and i remember just giving you some space 
and the next morning you called me and you were able to filter through that yourself and found your reasons right found your your ways to connect yep found your reasons to live for found all those things and and i was just like (laughs) yes yes those were some low times yes yes my wife would agree with you yeah yeah those were really hard times (laughs) that was uh that was years down the road too right right but just giving you some space right to just know that oh okay this this isn't this isn't lee this is this is something else that's going on and we just got to let it flow let it rather than try and push it back or you know try and right talk you out of it it wasn't something that we could talk you out of it was something you just had to experience and right yeah well and and going to that point you're talking about you know at that time i felt this is in 2013 i felt um you know there was no one happy in my household my kids weren't happy yeah i wasn't happy my wife wasn't happy none of us were happy there were secondary secondary victims if you will yes secondary for sure they're in a much different space today than they were then yes i totally and see that and so my thought process in in going making decisions i was going to move out is what i was going to do yeah Um, my my thought process in doing that was i don't i don't want to hurt them anymore yeah and so the only way i could see to not hurt them anymore is to leave to get out yep yeah. And so, yeah. That and that was a hard. That was a hard time. Oh yeah. That was a hard night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was, but, there, but just giving you some space, and trusting that you would, you would find yourself, that you would, you'll figure this out. You know, this will, right. this will get, this will get worked. Yeah. Right. I had a lot of uh, people trying to tell me where I was going to be or where determine my future, if you will. Hmm. And that was tough for me. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, determine my future. Like, well, you know, this, this, and this is going to happen and this is where you're going to be and, you know, and just try to, no, you you don't get to decide all this for me. Yeah, <laughs> you know I You're I get a fortune to, teller. Yeah, I I get to I get to deal with this and and handle it and and live my life how I'm going to live it and mm-hmm. I don't need someone telling me you know how I'm how I have to be mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was tough for me. So you know let the let the people make their choices and support them um as best you can in in those decisions right um i don't think that means support them in a bad decision but you know support them as best you can right in the proper decisions yep so something that uh that we didn't talk about so in the accident happened in 2010 in uh september September 14th of 2011, I had my mom unexpectedly pass away, hmm. which I was, it was pretty hard for me. Yeah. Um, and then in 2013, in January of 2013, I had my brother, he passed away. Hmm. And that was tough for me. Yeah. 
And then also in that same time frame from 2011 to 2013-ish, I had witnessed eight fatal accidents besides my own. Yeah. And that was all before emergency vehicles got there. So I was there before any emergency vehicles. Basically, my car didn't even get slowed down. In fact, one of them happened on, I believe it was 2000, it was November of 2013. Um, and it was, I was riding a horse with my brother-in-law. We were going to his property and some teenagers ran a stop sign and got T-boned. Hmm. And one of the girls got killed in the accident. We were there. Yeah. Like it happened right behind us. We were probably, I don't know, 30 feet in front of them. Yeah. And that was tough. Yeah. That was probably one of the toughest. Right. That was one of the toughest. So in going through this experience, you can imagine, yeah, I mean, driving was really difficult. Um, just in general, I had to drive past the accident where I had my accident mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. I drive by it every day today. Uh, to this day, I do. Um, and then, I don't know. I don't know why, but I got to see a lot of <laughs> fatal accidents <laughs> right right as they happened. Um, so, I don't know. It, I've asked a few people yeah. this. How how many accidents have you seen like that? How many fatal accidents in your life? Mm. Uh, where I got there before. Just in general. I've never seen a fatal accident. Well, no. Where you've driven by one. I saw one where I saw somebody on a road and slowed down traffic until the authorities got there one time. One time. Yeah. In... All my life. I've seen 11. Years. Yeah. I'm 40, and I've and, seen 11. And eight of them... Eight of them were in after. three years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to me, that's just remarkable. <laughs> I didn't think it was that remarkable. <laughs> that is, that's... I mean, I, I'm not saying that people, you know, that that God lines this up so that, so that these people are dying to help you. But I am finding it interesting that somehow you just happen to be in a place where folks are passing. Right. And, you know, helping you kind of process that a little bit, see that in context. And do you, do you, th- do you think in a, in a kind of an odd way, how does that influence you? I have no problem seeing a fatal accident now. It doesn't affect me like it did. Um in the moment, it was really tough. I, it was... Sure. Um, I would go into f- flight mode where yeah. I would want to get... I. So before I started seeing fatal accidents, I didn't start seeing them immediately. So, you know, I say it was in three years. It was actually probably in two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that first year, I didn't see any. Mm-hmm. And then the last two years, I saw eight. So oh. the, for the first little while, I didn't see him. Um, and then for whatever reason, I was the lucky one that was, I was a lucky guy that was at a lot of fatal accidents. Yeah. Um, so leading up to that, before I started 
being in, not in, I don't want to say involved, but before I started seeing these fatal accidents, anytime I would see an accident on the freeway, yeah. I would get anxious. Yep. Um, a reminder. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I would get anxious. I would, I would get sweaty and yep. almost hyperventilate. I'd start to breathe heavy and get really nervous. PTSD kind of right. response. Yep. Right. And then as I kind of started to handle that a little better and and my wife would she can attest to this that when we would be driving on the freeway somewhere and there would be a car just pulled over on the side of the road not even an accident just pulled over on the side of the Mm -hmm. road i would start to freak out Mm -hmm. like and she'd be like are you okay are you i'm like leave me alone i'm fine leave me alone you know and I, i didn't want her to i didn't want her to you know I didn't want the sympathy. I didn't. I didn't yeah. want that. I yeah. wanted to deal with what was going on. I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't process having to deal with yep. her questions and her all that, and try to stay focused on what I needed to be doing driving. Mm-hmm. It was too much, and so I was really a jerk to her. Really, looking back on it, um, but as as I saw more people pulled over on the side of the road, and I saw some accidents and that I kind of got accustomed to that and kind of got feeling a little which I think o- is okay a really with it. it's a really important principle there in dealing with difficult things you got to face it yeah when you start to avoid or start to not I get on avoid. the freeway or those kinds of things um it's it's really it, then you start to to not live a rich life you now you're living a more rigid and constricted right. life but as you continue to live your life, just by happenstance, you experience things that ultimately help you process and put it into context right. and see it differently. And I don't want to use in a negative term desensitize, but in a positive term, in an adjustment term, yeah. you went through this, this desensitization that ultimately helped you adjust. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it definitely helped me... Um, learn to process it mm-hmm. better um you know the the desensitization is is a really good way to explain it All right. uh, and and as i graduated from being okay with seeing cars on the side of the road and not freaking out that's when that's when it was like all right here's another yeah. Let's ramp it up a little more. Yeah. <laughs> you almost have to look for those divine providence kinds of ways that that okay how am i you know being able to see healing yeah in different things that you might not necessarily you know recognize unless you're really actively looking for them i can't say i i can't say i enjoyed going through that because i didn't i know i know i didn't yeah um but looking back on it it was probably the best thing that could have helped me process it because i drive i drive a lot of miles i drive two to three hundred miles a day Mm mm-hmm and so I'm going to see stuff. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to run into situations like this. It's sure. inevitable. Um, do I think eight is acceptable, <laughs> an yeah, acceptable number? Yeah. I think that's a pretty high number personally. Right. But, right. you know, it, it happened and, you know, we, I dealt with it. Yeah. And it, it definitely, but it definitely helped me learn to deal with my anxieties um so you know looking back on the whole experience the whole the whole thing mm-hmm. the whole enchilada if you will yeah um 
you know, it's, I know when I was going through it, we, we've talked about it a little bit, but it was terrible. I, I hated the whole process of it going through. Yep. It, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. Um, but now that I can kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel or, mm-hmm. you know, I've kind of came through it and are learning to, I'm still learning, but mm-hmm. have kind of learned some good techniques and some good ways to handle my PTSD and my, mm-hmm. the things that I get to deal with now. Um, it's definitely made me a, a better person that way. There's been some post-traumatic growth. Yes, for sure. From what's happened. For sure. Yeah. And so, you know, it's weird It's weird to look back and say this, but I'm, I'm going to hate myself for saying this, <laughs> but I, I, I'm glad it happened because I'm a better person now. Mm. I'm, but I'm not glad it happened. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, definitely mixed feelings, but you've seen the growth. Yeah. That's come yeah. because of it. I, I know that... Uh, I know that I probably wouldn't have learned the things about myself and about how to handle my anxieties and, and that stuff if I didn't go through this mm-hmm. process. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was definitely a, a learning experience, a refiner's fire, a mm-hmm. uh, unfortunate situation that, that, that I had to go through and that my family had to go through. And a lot of people had to go through. It's an unfortunate situation for the person that I hit his family had to go through um but it happened and we all got to move on and Mm -hmm. go through our own healing process yeah um in your own way in in our our own own time right and so you know it sounds weird to say that I'm glad I went through it Mm -hmm. I'm not glad that I had to go through it but i'm glad that i learned the things from it that i did there you go so that i think that's a a good takeoff you're a better person because of it right i'm a different person than i was before though there you go for sure um so you know that's that's kind of my take on it um did you have any other uh rough road stay on the road just stay on the road (laughs) Did you have any any other uh, technical or uh, no, no. doctorish things you wanted to no, say? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I think that's uh, you know the things that you've shared are you're just right on, and there are a lot of resources available to help folks who struggle with post traumatic stress. There's a, a lot of really good things in the through the web, and you know. Lots I would of, definitely suggest EMDR. I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah, some some are, some aren't. Right. Some there, there's folks that are critics of it. There are others that are, you know, proponents of it. And and uh, you know, everybody just has to find their find what works for them. Right. But rec- I think it's also important to recognize that this was not. You and I've had this discussion now for an hour and a half, but what we've been talking about is, you know nine years of work right and so this isn't uh happily ever after no, simple no, no. thing and and uh it takes and everybody just needs to know that if you're looking for a quick fix the quick fixes don't always heal no matter what people promise right no matter what people say 
it, it takes a lot of work and um, hard work. Yeah, just glad that we get to to enjoy the journey as we get to you know work that together. That's it. It was uh, definitely an interesting process and learned a lot from it. So I would uh, I'm glad I got to learn the things I did. So I want to thank you for yeah. coming on here. You and betcha. for all the help that you were throughout the process yeah, and the continued help you are. You so, betcha. We'll keep on the road together. Yes, sir. So uh, thanks for listening and um, be on the lookout for my next podcast. Thanks and have a good night. Mm-hmm.